Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today is James Perdue. And here's a bit about James. James became a quadriplegic, dislocating three vertebrae in his neck from playing a football game. The doctor said, James, I'm sorry, you'll never walk again. And you might be paralyzed from your neck down. Later, the doctor advised his family to place him in a nursing home. He would be too much of a burden for them to take care. And audience, you'll learn from his ABCs of overcoming adversities. A, accept adversity. B, begin battling. And C, conquer challenges. And I love that those are the ABCs that James Purdue is teaching, because we all know that sometimes the doctors say things and you know they're right. And other times the doctors say things and they're wrong. So who are you going to choose to believe? And where does your faith in yourself lie? And without further ado, I'm going to welcome James Purdue, and we're going to talk about resiliency and not giving up. Welcome, James. Genesis, thank you for having me on today. We're going to have a good old time. My pleasure. So James, I want you to start off by telling us some your background story, because we all know that a bio is just a bio, but who James is, is more than what you have written in your bio. Well, I grew up uh, playing baseball. I wanted to be a professional athlete, professional baseball player, and my father died at the age of 16, and so I had to grow up fast to be, I don't want to say the man of the family, because I had an older brother, but he wasn't what you call mechanically inclined. So if the car is broke down, I'm the one being the auto mechanic trying to fix it. I wouldn't say we were poor, but I, I would say we were knocking on the door of being poor. And so we couldn't afford the auto mechanic. So I had to learn to fix it so my mom could save money. Our house sometimes when it rained, the roof leaked. I had to go up and be the roofer. In the wintertime, Sometimes at 14 degrees, our pipes froze. I'm underneath the house trying to find the areas of damage so we can fix it so we have water during the winter. So I had to grow up pretty fast. So as I'm playing baseball, I wanted to get that professional contract. That way I'd get my mom that new house, not have to mess with that oven, get her and my brother cars and everything, wouldn't have to mess with them as much. I mean, even then, you know, there used to be what was called, you can get a mail order bride. I was going to get my mom a mail order groom. And so that was, I was just all excited to be able to help her and help the family. When you said that last part, James, I thought about the TV show 90 Day Fiance. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And by you having to go through that at such a young age, and I know what it's like to lose a father. You lost your father at 16. I lost my dad at 29. My dad passed last year on November 25th. So the day before Thanksgiving. And it crushed me because it was like I lost a piece of me because my dad and I were super close. So I could relate to that. And since he's passed, I've had to pick up a lot of the pieces and really be there to help my mom get her back and forth to her doctor's appointments, work or wherever she needs to go. 
because even though I'm married, my husband and I don't have any children in comparison to my siblings who do have children. And, you know, they're busy too. So I understand you having to step in and assume those responsibilities. But just assuming those responsibilities, it does get tiring because it's like everything falls on you when there is somebody else that could step in and help. And sometimes whenever they see that you're doing it, they're like, oh, James has it or whatnot. So did you ever feel that way? whenever you had to step in and um, be the roofer, be the mechanic, be the plumber, and just wear those um, different hats? There was times that yeah, I felt overwhelmed with things, but understanding my brother was mechanically inclined, so I was, uh, but I mean, there's things he did that I couldn't do or didn't want to do, so we did that part. And of course, mom, she raised three boys, and my youngest brother, he was, he's like nine years younger than us, so he wouldn't have known how to work on the cars and do all the roofing. And so it got a little overwhelming, but, um, you know, we did the best we could and moved on. And that shows resilience at such a young age. Now let's segue into your accident. And I want you to talk about your accident and how that shaped how that shaped your life in that moment and how did it empower you to create those ABCs and just say, you know what, this is what you say, but I still have dreams for my life and where I'm trying to go. Yeah. What happened, of course, when you have an injury, like I did and become a quadriplegic and you can't walk again, you're laying in the hospital bed for weeks and months. You have plenty of time to think back. And as I was thinking back, it was like, I got warnings from, I don't know what you call Mother Nature, the universe, God, somebody was seemed like they were giving me signs uh, to slow down, smell the roses, right? You know, enjoy life. And so uh, about two weeks before my injury, I was out riding around with some friends, four-wheeling, and I was one of them who thought I was invincible. So here I am trying to stand on the roll bars to surf as we're four-wheeling, and we hit a hole, and I go flying over the front of the Jeep, my arm got cut off, cut on top of the wind, windshield. The Jeep stopped about a foot and a half, two feet before running me over. And I'm at home cleaning the wound up at, you know, one in the morning. And my mom says, if you don't quit doing the things you're doing, I'll be taking care of you the rest of your life. Oh, mom, you worry too much. You know, again, when you lay in the bed with a broken neck, you have plenty of time to think back what could have happened. So about a week happened, a week, after, a week before the injury. I actually went to college for a week, come home for the weekend, and we were in the neighborhood playing softball, just the neighborhood kids, all of us in the neighborhood. My younger brother, again, nine years younger than me, he got mad and attacked me. And I remember saying to him, man, here I am, you know, 19-year-old, big, strong athlete. And I said, man, the only way you'd be able to beat me up is if I'm laying in bed or in a wheelchair and can't defend myself. So... There's two little incidents after thinking back. I should have slowed down and not been like I was. And would well, you... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And then about uh, three or four days later, uh, and about three or four days before the injury, I met a uh, girl in college. And it's one of the three reasons I went to college was to, to get drafted to play professional sports meet all the women I can meet and party. That's the only three reasons I went to, went to college. I didn't care about graduating. And so I met this girl and got talking to her. And like you're talking with me, uh, I told her, I said about my father dying, all the stuff I had to do. 
And I said, you know, one day there's going to be a lot of pressure put on me and something bad is going to happen. And she sure enough says, well, you'll have to start depending on other people. And I go, nah, I said, too many people depend on me. I don't, I don't have time for the other stuff. So, you know, here we are talking again. Now, day before my injury, I got to play one college game. I was the only freshman that started. Everything went good, exciting. First step towards getting to this professional contract, I hope. And um, the game was over with. My mom was there to watch. My brother was there. My grandma was there and says, hey, why don't you come home tonight? We'll drive you back down to the campus the next day. And I said, now I'm going to go back to the campus with all the other athletes, all the other baseball players. Said, said, the way things are going here, the first step of getting this contract, nothing's going to stop me. And I tell people, you know, that's just like the guy, the captain of the Titanic, right? The, the guy that built the uh, ship says, he goes, you know, even God himself can't sink this ship. And then I tell people, you know, God didn't need to, you know, that iceberg did it for him. But, you know, here I had that mentality that I'm invincible. Nothing's going to stop me. We're on the first step towards getting this career. The very next day, we're playing football game. It's pickup game. No helmets, no pads, but we were playing tackle football. About five plays before my injury, roughly five plays, this one guy hit this other guy up high, and I remember yelling, man, the way you're playing, you're going to break someone's neck out here. Now, again, two weeks of all this stuff's building up. My team gets the ball back. I said, hey, I'm done playing. Uh, I got to get stuff ready for class. So I walked out of the huddle. If I'd have kept walking, who knows where I'd been. But I heard someone say, we need someone to run the ball. I stopped, turned around, said, all right, I'll come back for one more play. Went back in, they had the ball off to me. I eventually scored a touchdown on that play. When I was putting the ball down, you know, the play's over with, and I scored a touchdown. When I was turning back towards everyone, I saw something in my peripheral vision on my right side. I felt contact up high on my right side, heard a loud pop, and we both go to the ground. And Jenny says, on that day, only one of us returned to her feet. And give you a little hint, it wasn't me. Wow. I was paralyzed instantly. Wow, James. Oh my gosh. So the, so just hearing all of this stuff, I keep hearing like whenever you were young, you felt invincible. Um, maybe the pride was there, the arrogance and et cetera. And it just reminds me that our words are so powerful. I'm not sure if you've heard that. And some people believe like what we release out of our mouth is curating space in the universe. It's allowing things to take root. And before we know it, we're walking, we're walking out what we said or we're eating our words. And it, it kind of reminds me of your story um, to be mindful of what we release out of out of our mouth because sometimes we say things in hindsight 2020 and we don't mean anything by it but then things start to happen and I don't know if people would say that's causation correlation or that's just the the universe taking root and just hearing your story it is powerful but it's also compelling because it's like you felt like nothing could be done to you and you felt like hey I'm this guy I'm on a mission I I started this um this baseball game as a starter a freshman like my career is about to take off and then something told you you had something telling you to leave to go and 
you know, go get ready for the next day, your schoolwork and et cetera. Bo, why did you keep on following that first voice? Why did you turn back around? Hey, I'm gonna give you a hint there. No one's ever asked me that question. They just, uh, you went back and played. And I would honestly say because of the competitor nature that I had, again, being invincible, we need someone to run the ball. Okay, I'll come back and run it. You know, if they wouldn't have said that, I'd probably kept walking, <laughs> if, you know. And so uh, be the competitive nature in me brought me back into the game. And now the other part of the question I want to ask, whenever you and the other guy collided and you were there laid out on the ground and you couldn't get back up and he got back up, how did the other people on the field react it? Because one, you're playing football without any pads, without any gears, where you know, okay, this is probably not the safe way to play football, but because you're young, you're thriving, you're macho, or some people, um, some of my Latinos or Latinas would say machista, like <laughs> the, str the strongness. Um, what was it like whenever they noticed that you couldn't get back up? Go back to that moment. Actually, the guy that hit me, and I've never met him, seen him since then. I think he came to the hospital one time, but I don't know for sure. Uh, so I've never seen or met him really after this. But he was all, be before he knew I was paralyzed, he, he was all excited. He tackled me, tackled me. And whenever he was going, I tackled, I tackled him. And and he, then he, uh, I tried to get up. Because when I heard the pop, I thought my collarbone broke when I first. So I tried to get up. And I was going to fight him one-handed uh, you know, because of being invincible, you know. And so, uh, when, uh, so when I tried to get up, I lift my head, nothing followed. My shoulders didn't come up. My legs definitely didn't come up. Arms didn't come up at that time. And so I put my head back down. Then I heard the same guy goes, well, does a touchdown still count? You know, dude, you hit me after the play. And I said, man, I'm really going to get up. So I tried the second time to get up, lift my head. Again, nothing followed. And so the old added three is a charm. So I put my head down, took a deep breath, and then I tried a third time. And then I knew it was over with, it was paralyzed then. And fortunately, there is a gentleman there. And again, I wish I could meet some of these people 38 years later now, but he was going to school to be a paramedic or EMT, whatever it was back in 1983. And all of a sudden, I remember him hollering, someone go to his room get his uh, pressure cup and his uh, stethoscope, bring a pencil and paper, and he's and bring a blanket, and he's taking my blood pressure, trying to keep me calm and writing stuff down for when the ambulance got there to give him information. I mean, he was great. Again, I don't know his name. I wish I'd have got to meet him. Uh, I guess we met personally, but we didn't know each other, but I wish I could meet him now. Uh, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm staring at the... Uh, the sky so i can't sit up to see what other people were doing uh, I, I couldn't see if people were surrounding me i i have no idea i just remember staring at the sky and there's one guy trying to keep me from going into shock wow talk about right place at right time because who knew that guy was going to school to study to be a paramedic so in that incident um i would say that he was your guardian angel because he helped you calm and that definitely could have really, you know, 
saved a life because what about if you didn't remain calm? What about if you went into shock? And it's not that we're living in the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, but I would have loved to see the guy who did this to you, you and him have a conversation so you could explain how you feel and vice versa. And for the fact that he even asked, does the touchdown count? Where is his empathy for you who a life-changing, altering situation had just happened to James and he's worrying about, did a touchdown count? Listen to that. A, a non-money touchdown, right? I mean, it's yes. not like it was a professional NFL game and money's right on the line, a championship game or something. Nothing like that. It's just a pickup game. So, and so, yeah, he, he, he was just wondering if the touchdowns were still good. <laughs> the question, whenever this happened and they alerted your mother, did y'all think to go, like, I don't know where you were playing at. Were there any cameras that may have caught this? Oh, no, this is 1983. I'm sure there was very, there was no cell phones back then. No cell phones for sure. Campus, you know, college may or may not have cameras everywhere. I have no, no, no one's ever found the footage and show me anything. So I'm assuming there was no footage uh, of anything. So my mom, had, well, when I got to the hospital, they, I was in the county hospital just long enough for them to call to send me to Nashville, because I'm right outside of Tennessee. Yeah, I live in Tennessee outside of Nashville. So it was a two-hour drive back to get me into Nashville with the ambulance. And the doctors there confirmed, well, I tell you, was with, again, the universe working, is when I'm in the county hospital there where I was, for some reason, they had me in the hallway on his gurney. Again, I can't move anything. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you happen to know, I, I, I failed to mention this earlier, the one girl that I was talking to, one of the reasons I went to, and we explained everything, she was going to school to be a nurse. And when you know it, she walks by me in the hallway, and she goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm paralyzed. She goes, what? I said, yeah, I just got my neck broke. And she says, and starts looking at the paperwork on me. And we talked for a second, and she moved on and um, said she would pray for me and stuff. And so when I got to the they didn't tell me anything, even though I knew something wasn't right. They didn't tell me anything. But when I got into Nashville, that's when they confirmed my neck was broken, said you'll never walk again, possibly not move your neck down, and things like that. So, This is so fascinating. Now I'm going to jump into a little bit deeper because I see that you are Dr. James Purdue, professor of perseverance. You worked hard to achieve success as an award-winning educator and coaching a state championship team. You're also an emot a motivational and inspirational speaker, best-selling author, and life coach. And you help people get out of their past, step into their future, and persevere to their you know, to their rightful place. So going from that experience to where you are now, what helped you along your way to accomplish the level of success that you have today, given the circumstances that you faced back then that changed your life? So you obviously had resilience and you all obviously had some grit to help you overcome that hurdle. And some people who go through life-changing decisions, they feel like, oh, what else can I do? But you pressed in, you pressed in, pushed up, and you thrived. Would you believe it goes back to invincible again? 
I mean, even though I wasn't invincible of not receiving anything, but I thought of the, let's do the stuff people say I can't do and go from there. And got words of wisdom from my older brother again uh, during this time when I went, I went to college uh, for a while at a two-year school where I lived. And I'd go a semester, quit a semester, go a semester, quit a semester. And the only reason I was going then just to get out of the house away from my family, give them a break and give me a break from each other. And finally went back and I said, you know, if I'm going to do anything in life, I, I need to go and get a degree. And he says, all the hard work, determination, everything you put forward to play baseball, now you need to direct all that energy into your studies. And that's how we got where we're at there. Now, I want to go back here quickly, uh, Genesis. but. Um, I tell people, you know, the doctor said I'll never walk again, possibly not move my neck down. And obviously I can move my arms to another week. But um, he, uh, we, when I got home out of the hospital and rehab, we started our own physical therapy little program. And within a year and a half, I got where I was able to stand and walk with a walker for 10 minutes. So I tell people, I made a liar out of the doctor for 10 minutes. It's just the other 23 hours and 50 minutes. He was correct. <laughs> that is amazing. And I wish my dad was alive to hear that, but I know he's up in heaven listening. And the reason why I'm getting emotional here is because May last year, you know, in the height of the pandemic, my dad goes into the hospital. Three days later, I found out that my dad got paralyzed from the waist down. So his entire quality of life changed, went to rehab. And we all know rehab is a place where they're supposed to rehabilitate you. My dad got worse in rehab. They weren't really working with my dad the way that he should. Um, so then, you know, when you're laying in a bed and you can't really turn over and do the things that you used to do, your skin starts to deteriorate. So my dad got a bed sore. That bed sore led to my dad getting sepsis. Then before you know it, my dad's body got septic. He went through blood transfusions. We moved him from that rehab back to the hospital, had to have like emergency surgery on his neck and other things. And, you know, the doctors were saying, no, 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 but I'm a woman of faith and I know who I am and whose I am. So I said, dad, you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome. Finally, my dad comes home to do home health here. We had a, a PT, OT, and then I started to see my dad improve, get a little bit stronger. Then they said, oh, your dad needs to go back to the hospital for a small procedure. You know, eight days later, my dad passes away. So Whenever doctors say that things can't be done, I know that there is a higher source and power where things can be done. Because just like your story, another reason why I'm so compelled to talk to you, and I don't know if you could tell that I'm getting emotional, is my uncle, he was crushed by an 18-wheeler in Oklahoma City when he was working. This has, was over 40 years ago. They life-flighted him to Texas. To We have one of the best medical centers here in Houston. And he went to a tier hospital. And he went back to the state of being a child. He had to learn how to crawl again. He had to learn how to, you know, from crawling to walking and et cetera. Then he started walking with a walker. Then finally he could walk with, you know, one of the canes that holds your arm, like the brace. I don't know if that's what it's called. Uh, yeah, the four, I've heard of called forearm crutches yeah. or, and Canadian crutches, what I've heard. And now he can drive 
a car by himself. And the doctor said that he wasn't going to make it. He was in a coma for an entire year. They kept telling my family to unplug him, unplug him, unplug him. But my dad, who was very strong in his faith and belief, said, no, we're going to pray and he's going to turn around. And by golly gee, one year after being in a coma, and that's a long time to be in a coma for an entire year, my uncle came out and he defied the odds of the medical doctors. And now today, over 40 years later, he is a living witness and testimony. And I tell him, if that wasn't God, I don't know who it was because everyone has counted you out. So whenever you tell your story, I feel it because not only did I experience it with my uncle, who he went through that, but lived, but then recently with my dad, who went through it and ended up passing away due to, you know, just poor practice because Last year, everyone was just so worried about COVID that you weren't worried about the people who went to the hospital that did not have COVID. And look what happened to my dad. But I can't be angry and bitter because I I know there's a plan for each one of us here on earth. But what do we do with ourselves and how do we retrain and condition our mindset when we are dealt cards that aren't favorable? Are we going to sit in it and wallow in it or are we going to flip the script and have that optimism and say, you know what, despite this happening, this is what I can do. And that's where what I hear in your story. I hear the perseverance. I hear the tenacity and I hear that even though I'm a quadriplegic, I still defied the odds of the of the doctors. I walked 10 minutes. It may not have been all the stuff, but they said I would never walk. And I did walk. I could use my arms. You could do so many things. Then you went on to be Dr. James Perdue. That speaks volumes. And your story is going to empower so many people, James. So many people. Well, thank you. And I'm sorry about your dad. The way that things happen. Here's what I learned with rehab when I first got injured. Rehab is not to rehabilitate, to put you where you're supposed to be at or better. Uh, what I've learned is they want to teach you to live in your situation, which I did not want to accept. You know, if I'm going to be in the situation, I want to be in the best situation and own the best I could, not just survive and be here. And so that, that's that's what I learned. So I'm sorry about your dad with, with that, but I, I can see the, the happening So uh, from there. So, but uh, yeah, so eventually, you know, I went on to becoming an educator and won a couple of awards and uh, for education. And uh, you see back here, there's my, one of my state basketball champs uh, we won. And so, and then I decided later on to go get my doctoral degree and, after that is when I decided to get into motivational speaking, got out of education and inspirational speaking and transformational speaking and wrote a couple of books. And, and so just to get out and spread the word. And um, like you, I've jumped into the podcasting world. And so it's uh, per, called Professor of Perseverance Podcast. And so, the, you know, that's pretty much all lived in a nutshell now. So from there. I love that, James. And then the wild card question as we begin to wind down, have you considered going into rehabs and speaking to their staff and telling them, hey, 
I know you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z, but I would like to see you help people not just survive, but thrive in their circumstance and talk about the test that you went through and how it's a testimony of where you are now, because there are people in the rehab who need that extra boost to know that I, I don't want to just be in this situation. I want to surpass it. Here's another thing I learned with rehab. I mean, don't get me wrong, the therapists, they're trying to do the best they can. This, this is what they've been taught to do and stuff. But again, like you said, other things can be taught to change and make it better. And of course, I haven't been in a rehab for 38 years. Hopefully, things have changed for the better than what it was when I was there, hopefully. But here's, here's the main thing I, I learned, that if the patient is not ready for this therapy and help, it's a waste of time. When I first got out of the hospital, I was in the hospital for three, mo three months, and I went to a rehab for 30 days, I wasn't ready. I didn't want to hear what they said. Again, they were trying to teach me how to get in and out of my chair when I wanted to learn how to use my legs and walk, and they weren't doing any of that. They were trying to teach me, you know, they're putting these cuffs around my hand for me to hold a fork to try to eat with instead of teaching me how to pick up a fork the best I could with my own hands. And, and so, um, so hopefully things have gotten better again. I haven't been in a rehab in 38 years for any of that. So hopefully it's gotten better in that area. Uh, but again, I would go back and teach, like you mentioned this earlier, I try to teach people the ABCs and I said, it's uh, easy to remember. Think of Michael Jackson. He sung the ABCs and all he said was ABC. One, two, One, two three. ABC. And they didn't go ABC to EFGHIJ. No, just low. Like, Saying the ABC, ABC. All right. So again, A is accept the adversity. The sooner you accept what's going on, the quicker you start moving towards healing. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. It took me five years to finally accept being in a weak wheelchair. I went to 18 different rehabs trying to find that cure in the first five years. And when I finally decided to quit hunting for that cure, that's when I went back to college and my brother with the advice to do what I'm doing. And so, so sooner you can accept it, quicker you can start healing and move forward. B again, begin your battling. What do you do to begin? Find people that's going through whatever you've been through and see if they get some advice from them. You know, the good thing about today, technology at the end of your fingertip, you can find organizations, associations, people, Facebook groups, all these people that's going through whatever you're going through to help you. And once you collect that knowledge, now see it's time to conquer the challenge, have the best life possible. Amazing tips, James. And thank you so much for sharing it. And I'm going to put some respect on your name because you do have a doctorate. So Dr. James Purdue, I totally and you know, appreciate you being here on GEMS. So as we close out, please leave the viewers and listeners with one or two GEMS and then close us out by telling them where they could connect with you on social media and learn more about your amazing journey. I would tell your listeners again, we're all going to go through something in life. And if you don't think it's coming, that's when you need to be hunting for it because it's coming unexpectedly, whether you're prepared or not. But when something does happen, again, get this support group to help you get through it. What you learn, use for your next episode, because it's coming. We're going to have something all our lives. We have a great spree of nothing going on, 
let's enjoy that. But when something comes, now I've learned what happened last time to help me get through it again even better and easier. And then the last thing is what you have learned to get through to, you need to use that to help someone else in the long run to help them get through whatever they're going through as well. And so the easiest thing to find me is again, just uh, going to the old Google search and you look, you just Google search professor of perseverance and bam, everything's coming. I love that. Bam. He said, bam. You heard Dr. James Purdue. Everything's <laughs> coming once you put in professor of perseverance. So you just heard Dr. James Purdue here on GEMS. We talked about not giving up. We talked about resilience. And most importantly, we learned about his background and how his background pushed him to where he is now. So make sure you go out and tap into his story and listen to some of the segments that he shares. He is a wealth of knowledge. And despite what happened to him early on in life, he flipped the script and now he's living his best life according to the way he wants to live it and not the way the doctors wanted him to live it. So I hope you all have an amazing day. And remember, I'm get, never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. That is a quote from Babe Ruth. Uh, then that's a good one to end with because I'm a baseball fanatic myself. Like, like I said earlier, so reference uh, Babe Ruth is uh, fulfilling for me. And there you have it. James agrees with that amazing quote. Um, so I like to sign out with saying peace, love, and lots of blessings. You all are amazing people. Live up to your highest potential and walk out your purpose because it's your destiny assignment and calling. <laughs>